Welcome to Connecting the Docs, a podcast from the State Archives of North Carolina, where archivists connect archival materials to fascinating and true stories from the past. The theme of season two is Unprocessed, where each week we deliver rare and often overlooked topics related to North Carolina's storied history. Now here's your host, John Horan. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, John Horan, and welcome to this unusual episode of Connecting the Docs on Processed. Today, another of my summer interns, Matthew Streets, and I are going to present the transformational history of a small rural town in central North Carolina. The town is called Bynum, and we were initially interested in the area because of the textile mill that once dominated the town's economy. But once we started digging, we found quite a number of fond memories and a community that's as tight-knit as it can be, despite going through several major changes. What's more is we decided to let the residents of the town do the talking. Matthew and I completed three oral histories from within those within the town, and all three are heavily featured throughout this podcast. In fact, the three voices you'll hear are the voices of those we interviewed, Martha Collins, Ron Hatley, and Ted Williams. All three of these oral histories can be found within the State Archives of North Carolina. We begin by listening to Ron and Martha talk about what first put Bynum on the map, the textile mill. As a youngster, I went down to the mill. It, uh, it wasn't a very good environment. Uh, it was incredibly hot. Uh, it was a cause of lung disease. You could see the uh, filaments of cotton fiber going through the air. It initially was not air-conditioned. So there was uh, no air conditioning. It wasn't the best of places to to work. It was what most of my neighbors had, and those that were fortunate enough to escape that environment uh, were considered very fortunate. When the mill was operating and people who lived in the mill houses, the rent was like 50 cents a room. So if you had a three-room house, your rent was $1.50 a month. In the 70s is when the um, housing authority of the federal government bought all the houses uh, that had belonged to the mill. And they came in and they upgraded to minimum standards all the houses, which meant they put running water and bathrooms in the houses and tried to insulate them um, and you know but it was to minimum standards which you know wasn't very much and then the federal government sold the houses back to the people who lived in them for the amount of money that they had spent on upgrading the house so my mother bought her house for like eight thousand dollars Now our three individuals will talk about various aspects of the community, beginning with the recollections of how the church was a focal point in the community and how that focus has waned. Well, back when I was uh, younger and a teenager and growing up in Bynum, it was very much a part of the community. Just about everybody went to church. Some of the people who lived in Bynum would go to Rock Springs Church, and Rock Springs had had a bus that they would, you know, come over and pick up people and take them to church and then bring them back home. Um, So some of my friends went to Rock Springs Church. I was a member of Bonham Methodist Church, 
But I would go to church at Rock Springs and go to church at Bonham Methodist, you know, and some and my friends would do the same thing. And regardless of which church you belong to, all the kids in town belong to the Bonham Youth Group, the Methodist Youth Group. The the, the little Methodist church down here is is um, struggling. You know, when when I was young, it was uh, I don't know, seventy five, eighty. 90 people who would come to church on Sundays. Uh, most Sundays now, if we have 25 or 30, it's a good Sunday. And I, and I hate to see that happen. You know, when I was a kid, the church was such a central part of the community. There were so much of the social activities that were centered around the church. So much of the interaction socially among the, the, the community was, was centered around the church. And I think we've lost that. No one really thought too much about what your background was. It was not a segregating factor. It was not us, you, them type thing. It was a, a it was a community, and and the church was very important in the community, much more so then than now, for both of the churches. In speaking with the people that are members of the other church. Churches in many places are, are a dying breed. Next, we listen to Ron and Martha talk about how the community was close-knit and continues to be close-knit, providing help and aid whenever other folks within Bynum needed it. Martha describes an old tradition that they've revived called pounding. My dad always said that there was no one in Bynum in need. He said there were people in want. They wanted something. They wanted something but there was no one that was truly in need. One of the things that they would do, and this was by uh, Frank Harris, the person that, that ran the store at that time before it became the Bynum Front Porch, uh, there would be a box in the store and people would come in and say, what is needed? And whether it be flour or, or, or whatever things it might be, produce, he would say, well, we need some bread, we need some flour, we need something. And the people would buy whatever that was and take and put it in the box. And then at night, he would deliver that and leave it on the porch of the people that needed whatever it was that was was needed. Yeah, we're still a close-knit community, even with all of the diverse people that we have here. Um, everybody knows just about everybody else. Whenever somebody new moves in, uh, we try to get to know them. Um, Bottom Front Porch has started a program that was, had long ago been uh, defunct, but it's called a pounding. And it used to be whenever a new person moved in to Bynum, they they would get a bag of sugar, flour, cornmeal, cooking oil, maybe coffee or tea, and you know, uh, the neighbors would take it to their house as a welcome to their new home. Ted Williams brings his recollections of what the town used to be like with the various general stores as the center of community life. He describes how they used to have at least six stores in operation at one point, and though that may not have lasted, he talks about what took the place of these general stores, something called Bynum Front Porch. Some of the social centers in town were the local grocery stores. 
and people would gather there a lot in the evenings. And I remember as a kid going down and I would just kind of sit under one of the counters and listen to the stories that uh, most of the men, the men would gather and that they, they would uh, uh, talk and uh, talk about things, the events of the day, the news and, uh, and tell stories. Uh, I don't think any of which I can remember, but uh, they were, that was kind of the social center. And of course this was in the days before either uh, television or telephones had come to the area. And of course, the original company store for Bynum was called Lambert and Atwater. And around, I guess, 1900, apparently the meal paid out in script. And so you had to use the script at the company store, which was Lambert and Atwater. And I'm not sure when they closed that store, but uh, my parents built the other store in 1934. And, and at that time, there were uh, at least six other stores in operation and in and, and a town of maybe what 200 people or so. A group in Bynum organized this nonprofit organization called the Bynum Front Porch and continued to, to offer the, the store as a music venue, which apparently has, has become very popular and, and is very much a desired uh, venue for musicians in the area. Surprising that the level of, uh, of uh, musical groups that they're able to attract here. Um, and the store is also used then for other community events. Scouts still meet there. Uh, anyone in, in the community can use it for free, you know, for dinners or whatever they want the uh, celebrations. Um, the organization offers uh, scholarships to three local students, um, one from each high school that are the first in their family to attend college. So there's, uh, it's still kind of a, uh, a central focal point of the community. Ted, Ron, and Martha discuss how the shift in the demographics of Bynum mirror the shift from the general store to Bynum Front Porch with a large number of artists in residence. And so, you know, what has happened is that today Bynum has become kind of a, a young community and, and really an artist community. There's a lot of artists here. Because of the advances in technology with Facebook and with uh, Twitter and YouTube, we are able to reach out to others, to people that did live here, that moved away, that were perhaps not originally from Bynum, but they moved here for a period of time and their heart is still here. So we have a, a large virtual following of people that still are here even though they're in Washington or Oregon. Some of the older residents that were native to Bynum, they're still here, but they're, they're dwindling in number. But we have a lot of artists in town now. You have Clyde Jones, the chainsaw artist. Um, you have Emma Skernick. You have Martha Danick. You have um, Selden, and I can't pronounce her last name. But you have uh, Martha Mays Pottery. Uh, those are all located in Bonham. And then you have Paper Hand Puppets. I know you've heard of Paper Hand Puppets. They... Uh, live in Bynum. Um, there's another artist, um, 
Patricia Martin, who lives in Bonham, Craig uh, Grenier, him, both him and his wife are photographers, and they have a studio in their home. Artists are artists, so, so they're a little eclectic to begin with. And all of Bynum is eclectic, if, if you look at it. It's, it's like uh, Asheville is a, a, a town that time forgot. Chapel Hill and Carborough is somewhat of a, a, a town that time forgot, as is Bynum. So, so we're living in a, a little bit of a bubble of happiness, if you will. Martha, Ron, and Ted all spent time talking about growing up and how many kids there were in the neighborhood. Interestingly, all three mentioned their school bus as evidence of the large number of kids and the interconnectedness of the community. Like whenever I was a teenager growing up and everything, there was probably, we had a school bus that came through Bynum. It was the only school bus that Bynum had, but it was the biggest school bus in the school bus fleet. And it was it was the newer flat-nosed school bus, and it was the longest bus in the fleet. And it was full of kids because, you know, and we would go down to the Bynum General Store, which was owned by Mr. Frank and Miss Louise Harris at the time, or we would go down to Mr. Carey's General Store. And you'd have a group down there and a group at the other store, and the bus would stop at both places and we would get on and off the school bus there. But uh, we had a couple of stops across the river and there was a couple of stops before he got to the stores. But that school bus was full of kids from first grade to 12th grade. There were a lot, this was after World War II, you know, and there were a lot of kids here. I mean, when I was growing up here, the largest school bus in the county came over to Bynum and really made just two stops and it filled it up. I mean, there were like 60 kids that uh, that went to school here. So, you know, from a standpoint of being a kid, there was a lot of people here to play with because it was, it's, again, it's a small community. The houses are close together. And so there was a lot of opportunity there for interaction with other, other children. Whenever I was in high school, I drove the school bus through the community and uh, the, the school bus was a like a city bus, a snub-nosed uh, bus. And uh, I parked the bus at the store. Then I'd make a run through the, through the village, through the community and pick up the, the kids going to, uh, going to school. All of the kids that rode the bus were in one of two stores. Carrie Durham store or the uh, what is now the Bynum Front Porch store. So that was the main pickup for all the all of the kids. The kids went there. They they got snacks to eat before going to school. So it was a drop off and pickup point for the uh, for the kids in the community. I started as I said. I started driving the school bus. My dad didn't really want me to do that because of the uh, responsibility. But I had to go to school anyway, so why not drive the bus? And several of us, I, I think you may have talked with Ted in terms of the uh, archives recordings. He drove the bus as well. It was a thing to do. Once again, all three individuals showcased the Hall River as a central part 
of the community, past and present. It's a place of gather for rafters today, parents fishing in the past, and kids playing throughout. And yet all three discuss the pollution levels in the river and the industrial runoff that pollute the Haw River. That was one of my father's pastimes was fishing. But a lot of guys would go down to the river and they would fish and they would catch the fish and then we'd have a community fish fry. I mean, you know, and um, my dad would go down to the river and he would fish. Uh, of course, my mom did not like fish. She did not like cleaning them and she did not like cooking them. So he would catch the fish and he would take them and give them away because <laughs> he liked fishing so much. Then a lot of times he would throw them back. But yeah, swimming in the river uh, was a great pastime whenever you were a kid. Now I wouldn't put my big toe in it, but back then it was nothing for us to go down there and go in swimming and everything. But with all the pollution and everything now, uh, I ain't putting my big toe in it. You were talking about the state park and, and a lot of the facilities on the uh, that side of Bynum have become state parks. So we have a lot of visitors that come to swim or kayak in, in the river. Uh, on any given Sunday afternoon, you'll see people walking down the, the road with their rafts going down to the river, to the, to the state park to, to, to swim in the river. When I was a kid, no one swam in the river. The mills in Burlington, you could tell from the foam that went over the dam what color Burlington were dyeing their socks that particular day. The water would be green, the water would be blue. So as a kid, I never, never did that. Uh, the EPA and uh, Department of Environmental Quality have tried to clean up the river as such uh, just within the last few days, Greenbur Greensboro released uh, 1.9, uh, 1.4 uh, Dyson and uh, PFAS into the river. So there's there's a definite problem that's there. So as activists, and there are quite a few of us in in Bynum, we're we're fighting to make the environment a little bit better. I, when I was a kid. Um, you could actually smell the river from a couple of hundred feet away. And it was badly polluted. And in fact, um, when we had a big rainstorm and, it was, and there was a lot of water coming over the dam, there would be these huge clouds of suds that would be sometimes higher than the dam from, uh, we think, the manufacturing further upstream up the Hall River. And they were dumping dyes and other chemicals into the water. And it was horrible. It was literally horrible. And while we, you know, we, we would catch fish and we would eat the fish from the river, I now shudder to think, you know, exactly what was in those fish and how it might have impacted the people here. One of the prominent features of the community, and of course the reason the mill was here was the river. The, the river was, was a prominent feature here and, and it's for us kids, of course, it was the place to be. I mean, we, we swam, we fished, 
We gathered there. There were places at the river uh, up around the dam where people would gather and uh, are under the bridge. There's, uh, I understand that it was always pretty much a poker game going on under the bridge somewhere, just about 24-7. Finally, Martha and Ron give their lasting impressions of how open and welcoming Bynum was and continues to be. I think that the people in Bynum are so open and so welcoming and everything that uh, that's why we are so connected. We like meeting new people, but we like being connected to our neighbors too. And even now, if somebody needs something, um, we're there. It still has the flavor that it, that it had in, in many respects. It's not a separation so much, but it's a community that's, that holds its arms around each other and they welcome people into the community and you very quickly become acclimated to the, the society that we have. Uh, I've told people when they said they wanted to come and visit, I said, once you go to Bynum, you can't ungo to Bynum. This season of Connecting the Docs is brought to you by staff members of the State Archives of North Carolina. Special thanks this week to our summer intern, Matthew Streets, and the three individuals he interviewed, Martha Collins, Ron Hatley, and Ted Williams. And thanks to our producer, Randy McRae, and of course, the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, Judy Allen Dotson. I'm your host, John Horan. Thanks for joining us this week on Connecting the Docs, Unprocessed. Make sure to visit our website, connectingthedocs.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People, at ncarchives.wordpress.com. For more news and information, please visit our website, archives.ncdcr.gov.